Good morning. Would you stand as we read the Word of God? Today, I'm reading Jonah 2. When I finish reading, I will say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you can respond back. Thanks be to God. Jonah's prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again, look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Betty, for the reading of the word today. If you're new, it's a great time. It's always a great time to be here. We jumped into a brand new series last week going through the book of Jonah that we're calling Relentless. And last week, we saw a relentless pursuit of God. God was pursuing Jonah. And now, God had told Jonah, if you'll remember, just to recap a little bit, God had told Jonah to stamp his passport and go on a mission trip to the great city of Nineveh. Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were one of the most feared, brutal enemies of Israel. They were a brutal people. He hated them. So God said, go. Jonah said, no. Rather than obeying God's word, he rebelled against God's word, and he went and booked a cruise in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And so he's running from the Lord. And so what does God do when we run? Well, we know from Scripture all the way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's word and ran from God to hide in the wilderness, to hide in, you know, among the trees, God pursued them. Not that God uh, was trying to look for them. God knew exactly where they were, but God pursued them as he always does his kids. So God pursues Jonah relentlessly. It was a relentless pursuit. And he does that through a storm. He throws a huge storm onto the Mediterranean uh, Sea, and uh, they, the ship is being tossed back and forth and torn to pieces. The mariners, the sailors that worked on the ship, they are afraid, they're scared, and man, if your sailors are afraid, you better be afraid. And so they eventually realize that this is Jonah's fault. This, this uh, lands on Jonah, and so they threw him overboard. And it looks like, man, at that point, the credits are rolling on Jonah's life. So the credits are rolling on this story, but that's not the end of the story. As we know that God didn't bring this storm and have Jonah thrown overboard to get Jonah back. He, he did this to get Jonah's attention, right? This wasn't, uh, the purpose of the storm was greater than punishment. The purpose of the, sto of a, of the storm was a means of God's grace, uh, as he provided a fish, maybe it was a whale, huge fish, to come along and chomp Jonah and swallow him whole. And at that point, you're really thinking, man, the credits on his life are really rolling. You've seen the movie Jaws. He ain't surviving this, right? I mean, he is blood. He is fish food. He's done. But that's not the end of the story as the fish swallows Jonah whole and then Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and the fish, where does the fish head to? The great city of Nineveh. Folks, here's many lessons you can learn from this, uh, this book of the Bible, as with all. One of them is you're going to go exactly where God wants you to go. You can go the easy way or you can go the hard way. 
I mean, you can go uh, on a cruise ship with, with saunas and hot tubs and swimming pools and decks, or you can go in the belly of a whale. Your life can be blessed or your life can stink in the belly of a whale. You choose which way you're going to go, but you're going to go where God wants you to go. You're going to end up where God wants you to be, right? And so we're going to pick up the story today where Jonah has been in the belly of this fish for three days. Now, scientists uh, believe that Jonah would have been immobilized. Obviously, you're in a constricting the belly of a fish, uh, that he would have been immobilized and in gastric juices that would have been about 115 degrees for three days. Now, you can imagine uh, when the fish, it says, gets to Nineveh, it vomited, it puked Jonah out onto the beach. Jonah, he, he's now, you know, uh, vomited out on the beach, and he, you know, he's bleached out and pruned out, right? I mean, he's been in the belly of this fish for three days. He's bleached out from the gastric juices. He is pruned out. He literally reeks, you know, I mean, and if anyone was in a mile, they would have been able to smell Jonah, and that's what happens when you rebel. When you rebel, when you run from God, your life is going to stink, and everyone around you will be able to smell uh, your stinking life, and many of them won't have a clue why you stink, because who would have thought when they saw Jonah, man, he stinks. What, what is this? Why does he stink so bad? Somebody wouldn't have said, well, he's in the belly of a whale. No, they would have never thought that. So somebody, uh, as they smell your life and, and it stinks, they might not know why it stinks, but it stinks because we're running from the Lord, right? Now, some people have a hard time believing this. This is this unbelievable story. This is an allegorical story. It really didn't happen, right? I mean, surely it didn't happen. How can a whale swallow him? I mean, why would we have a problem with this, folks? I believe that it's not an allegorical story, but a real story, and here's why I believe it's a real story, uh, mainly because Jesus referred to it as a, an historical story. Jesus referred to this story uh, when he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the tomb. Jonah, uh, or I'm sorry, Jesus referred to this as an historically accurate story. So I believe it's a historically accurate story. And, And here's the thing, I don't understand why we would have a problem believing this. I mean, think about it. If we believe that God created the world and he created it what uh, theologians call ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, there was no matter, there was no materials. God created the materials to create the world. He spoke the world into existence. If we believe God created the world out of nothing, why would we believe that God's not in control of all the natural laws, of all the events that happen? Uh, if we believe that God could put a baby in the womb of a virgin, how could we believe that God couldn't put a man in the belly of a fish, right? If we believe that God, Jesus can spit on mud and put it on the eyes of a blind man, and a blind man opens his eyes and he sees, if, if he can heal cripple uh, uh, men and make them walk, if, if he can raise dead people like Lazarus, why would we have trouble believing this miracle? Yes, it's a miracle, and our God is a God of miracles. I believe it really happened, and I believe it's a miracle of God, but here's what I want you to understand. This is not the greatest miracle in the story. The greatest miracle is not what happened inside the belly of a fish. The greatest miracle is what happened inside the heart of a prophet. That's the greatest miracle. As we see Jonah go from rebellion to repentance in chapter two. Chapter one's all about rebellion. Chapter two is all about repentance from this rebellion. And repentance is something uh, that we all need to hear about because repentance is something that we all need to do, right? This is a very relevant message for all of us because repentance is something that should be a continual part of our life. On October 31st, 1517, the father of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, made historical headlines when he posted 95 theses, uh, really 95 protests against the Roman Catholic Church. And he posted these not on his Facebook or not on his Twitter, he posted them on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. He nailed them to the door. These 95 protests of why the Roman Catholic Church was wrong in 1517. The, The very first one, if you read the very first one, it reads this, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, do sincerely repent, willed that the whole life of the believer should be a life of repentance. The whole life of the believer. So Martin Luther, the very first thesis, the very first protest is that repentance is the life of the believer. Now, Martin Luther knew 
that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was not by works. He knew that how we were saved, how we were redeemed, how we come to know Jesus was through repentance, through an act of repentance. That was how we were justified. It's called justification. When you come to Jesus and and, and you say, Jesus, I believe with all my heart that you are the way, the truth, life, and no one comes to the Father except through you. I believe you're right and I'm wrong. I believe you're God and I'm a sinner and I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Then you're justified. If you're not a believer, that's the only way you will be saved. If you are a believer, that's the only way you were saved. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't earn it. It was by grace, through faith, through Christ alone as you repented of your sin and turned to him. Martin Luther knew that, when, that, that the moment you repented of your sin, the gavel in heaven dropped declaring you not guilty of your sin because Jesus served your time and did your sentence. He paid the price for your sin. He knew that was justification. But he also knew that repentance wasn't limited, folks, to a sinner's prayer. It wasn't limited to that one time when we repent of our sin and turn to Jesus in salvation. That's called justification, and that happens once and for all. But he also knew that repentance was a part of every day of the Christian's life. It was a continual, the life of the believer, because we uh, rebel against God. We, we rebel against God. We sin. We commit sins, and we're no longer a sinner by identity. We're now a saint because we believe in Jesus and we're saved by Jesus, but we continue to sin and we need to continue to repent, right? And that is the life of the believer. As a matter of fact, here's what's amazing. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And the longer you walk with the Lord, you would think the less you would need to repent, right? The, the closer you get to Jesus, that's called sanctification. Justification is when you're saved, the moment you're saved, that's once and for, once and for all. Sanctification is a lifetime uh, process and it's becoming more like Jesus. That's what it means. That's why we want you involved in Rooted, to help you become more like Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, you would think, man, you would need to repent less, right? Wrong. When you become more like Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, the more you repent. Why is that? Because the more you become like Jesus, the more sensitive you become to sin in your life. The more you hate sin, the more you love Jesus, the more you hate sin, and the more sensitive you become. And all the sins that, that are little, you, like, God, I, I, please forgive me, I don't wanna do this, right? And so the, the whole of the Christian life, Luther knew, was a life of repentance. And so today, that's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about repentance because that's what we see in Jonah's life. That's what chapter two is all about. And we're gonna learn three things from the life of Jonah about repentance. One, repentance is losing your life. It's losing your life. Two, repentance is laying down your idols. And three, repentance is looking to Jesus. Now, let's look at the first thing that we see in the life of Jonah. Repentance is losing your life. In verse one of chapter two, as Betty read, it says, and then Jonah prayed. (laughs) And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, uh, his God, from the belly of the fish. Now, Here's the one thing that I noticed, and you should notice when you read this. This is the first time that Jonah talks to the Lord in this story. This is the very first time. The Lord's talked to Jonah, but Jonah hasn't talked to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I found that puzzling because if I'm in rebellion and the storm is hitting, I think I'm going to cry uncle long before this. Long before I'm in the belly of a whale, and long before I hit rock bottom, it's easy for us to look at, at other people and say, why in the world is he doing that? It's crazy. I mean, why, why do you want to wait till you hit rock bottom? But, you know, we do the same thing in other areas. And it's so easy to look at Jonah and say, this dude waited till he hit rock bottom to cry out to the Lord. Why would he do that when he could have saved himself so much pain, so much uh, trouble, so much sorrow? Why? Well, that this reveals the depth of his rebellion and the hardness of his heart, folks. He is in deep rebellion against God. And and here's what it says in verse two. In verse two, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now, you know he was in distress, right? I mean, man, he's been in this storm. He's thrown overboard. He's swallowed. Now he's in the belly of the fish. That, That would make you be in distress. In my distress, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. Isn't that beautiful? And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. He says, I cried out to the Lord 
out of the belly of Sheol. Now, man, I could preach a sermon on Sheol and hell and all these things and what is that for, for time's sake and uh, clarity. Sheol is just, in that day, it was that referred to as the place of the dead. And so Jonah is saying, uh, man, my life was, I was as good as dead, right? I was as good as dead. I hit rock bottom and, 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 and I cried out to the Lord. Listen to his language from three through six. In verses three through six, he says, you, for you cast me into the deep. You cast me. Who did? God. I, he knew this was from the hand of God. God cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Who controls the waves? Who controls the billows? God. In verse four, it says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look up on your holy temple. Verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up uh, upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Jonah is recounting in his language. You see that he is saying, I was as good as dead. I hit rock bottom before I cried out to the Lord. But when I did hit rock bottom, he cried out to the Lord. Now, some of you are just like John. I can really probably rephrase that and say all of us. This story is just not, uh, you know, it's not unique to Jonah. Doesn't terminate it. This is our story, isn't it? I mean, God gives us direction from his word. God tells us commands in his word. He tells us how to live life in his word. He tells us uh, how we should live in his word. And those are easy when it's easy, right? I mean, it's easy when it's easy. Remember Jonah. God told Jonah to go to King Jeroboam and tell Jeroboam because his enemy, which was the Ninevites, his enemy was brutal to rebuild the border around the city, rebuild the wall and protect them. Well, Jonah loved that because he hated the Ninevites. That's an easy obey, right? God told him to do something. He loved it. It fit within his mindset. It fit within his worldview. He loved it. It's easy to go tell Jeroboam, rebuild that wall. Jonah was loved by that for, for, for obeying God's command. People thought he was just all that, man. I love this guy. So that's easy to obey. But then God comes and gives him another word and says, now I want you to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And Jonah's like, uh-uh, Lord. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I'll obey your word when it's easy, but this is hard because you see, this goes against my way of life, my worldview, because Jonah hated the Ninevites. He was basically racist in this point because he hated the Ninevites. They were his brutal enemy. He hated anything to do with a Ninevite, and he didn't want to go tell them the gospel because he knew God would save them. His worldview was shaped. This was outside of what Jonah wanted to do. It was outside of his ambition in life. He wanted them to die and go to hell. He didn't want them to be saved. This was outside of his worldview and his way of life, and he said, I don't want to do it, and I'm not going to do it. And man, he ran from God. And when you disobey God's word and when you run for him, your life's going to stink. Your life's going to stink. You could say uh, you're going to end up chunks, right? Because as the fish blew chunks, you could say, your life's going to be a chunk that stinks when you end up rebelling against God. And we do it in so many areas because there's so many areas in our life where God tells us something and we say, no, God, that interferes with my worldview. That interferes with my way of life. That interferes with what I really want in life, Right? You can think of them now, can't you? I can start naming them, but uh, I can only, I can, I, I can't name them all. They're endless. I mean, we can, we can talk about it with our money, with our tithes. We talk about that because that's, that's one of the, listen, why do I talk about that so much? Because uh, when it comes down to it, you know as well as I do that the last thing that's baptized is your wallet, you hold it up when you go into the water. We know that, right? That's what people do. And so, so that's one of the last things. And God says, to tithe and be generous, and what do we do? Man, we say, oh, wait a minute, God. You, you tell me not to kill anybody. Check, I got that one. Give them, oh, uh, wait a minute. I didn't with my way of life, because if I do that, I might not be able to do this. We're no different than Jonah when we do that. We're running from God. You know, God tells uh, you, 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 you who are single. God tells you who are single, and here's, here, you know, here's, 
here's something that I never thought I would do and something I never wanted to be. But, you know, when I've preached and said something about singles, you know, for the last 37 and a half years, uh, uh, you know, because I've never preached without Amy because I, I, we surrendered to ministry together. And they're passionate for that. When I preach about singles, I know the single stuff. Oh, he's married. What's he, you know, he, uh, I'm one of you now, okay? And here's what I can tell you. The word gives a clear word on who you should marry. And it says, do not be unequally yoked. It's a command. It is clear. And let me tell you what that means. Let me put some more flesh on what those bones are. You see, those, the flesh on that bone should be this. It's not that that person claimed to be a Christian. No, because you see, half the people claim to be a Christian are really not. Okay? So you can't lower the bar and say, oh, they say they're a Christian. If that, to be unequally yoked is for you, a Christian, to marry someone who literally does not love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've got to raise the bar. If they don't love the Lord, you run. Okay? The Bible says do not be unequally yoked. But then you're single and you're dating someone who doesn't love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's going to interfere with your way of life because that's a command that's hard to obey. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, are you going to obey the Lord? Are you going to obey the Lord and experience blessing? Are you going to run from God and be cursed in your life? What are you going to do? You know, God tells you in your marriage. God tells us clearly in our marriage. He gives us specific a couple of permissions for divorce. He gives us those permissions. Uh, but even in those permissions, marital unfaithfulness, abandonment, even in marital unfaithfulness, if there is true repentance, he doesn't command uh, we, we divorce. It, it, he, he gives us permission to. But if there's true repentance and we're more like Jesus, what, what would we do? If there's true repentance, then what did Jesus do for us? We should try to follow that. But there is permissions for that. But outside of those permissions, and God gives us commands. What do we do? Do we obey God? Do we run from God? What you do with it's going to determine the trajectory of your life for a while. Well, forever, really, but it's going to determine the smell of your life too. God gives you very clear commands about faithfulness in your marriage. But he doesn't, but this guy understands me and my husband, he doesn't understand me and he doesn't understand. He talks to me. He listens to me. Yeah, because he's trying to get something out of you. He doesn't understand you. He's never smelled your bad breath and saw you with your hair the way it looks in the morning. Your husband has. He hadn't, right? He, I mean, he's grooming and baiting you, right? I mean, listen, what are you going to do? Are you going to obey God's word? I mean, we could go on and on and on forgiveness. Let's, oh, wow, let's not even talk about that one because God tells us to forgive. And, you know, and somebody come up to Joe, well, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Seven times? Because he thought he was something else. I thought Jesus going to think I'm big if I think I should forgive seven times. Jesus said seven 70 times seven, in other words, endless. Are you kidding? Why stop at seven? When you read Jesus' prayer, that gets very convicting, right? When you pray, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our, I don't want to pray that. I'm going to stop right there, right? I mean, because we think, ah, that person, I hate that person. You don't know what they did to me. And, and listen, let me tell you what they're doing right now, man. They're, they're eating brunch somewhere. They don't, they, don't, they don't care about you. They don't think about you, but it's tearing you up. Forgiveness is not for them. It's for you. Do we forgive? I mean, God's word, I, I'm just naming a few. Let's go on in. Like, God gives us a clear word, just like he gave a word to Jonah. Go to Nineveh. He gives us a clear word. Be generous and give your tithe. He gives us a clear word. Do not be unequally yoked. He gives us a clear word about marriage. He gives us a clear word about forgiveness. He gives us a clear word about anything you can imagine. And it's easy when it's easy. But when it's hard, we got a decision to make. Are we going to run from God like Jonah in the opposite direction? Or are we going to obey God when the hard decision is to obey God? Because it will prevent you from getting some things you want, maybe. It will interrupt your way of life. It will, you know, take you out of your worldview and how you think and what are you going to do? Repentance begins by losing your life. You see, Jonah here, he, 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 he learned that Trying to preserve your way of life might cost you your life, literally. And he learned that joy is found with the Lord, even if that's in Nineveh. Look at what David said. David said this in Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. You make your commands clear. The path of life is how I should live. You make known to me the path of life and marriage and money and relationships and forgiveness. You make known to me how I should live. 
and in your presence, because the path of life, as I obey God, I'm walking in his presence. You make known to me how to live, and then as I live in your presence, there's fullness of joy. That's where life's good. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And what? Walking in the way of the Lord. You see, that's where I, why I say walking in the way of the Lord brings blessing and joy, pleasures forevermore, the path of life, the way to live. But going opposite like Jonah, it brings the opposite of joy, the opposite of pleasures. Jesus said this in, in uh, uh, Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me. Now, what he's talking about was in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, if, if anyone would come after me, he's talking about the repentance. The repentance when you come to Jesus and say, I, 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 you're right, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, you're the savior, I commit my life to you. That's repentance. So uh, uh, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, lose your life, take up your cross and follow me. Now, taking up the cross let him die himself and take off. This is the cross was an instrument of death. That's how Jesus died, remember? So we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and fall. so in other words, we die, we lose our life. We die to ourselves to follow Christ. We have to die to ourselves to follow Christ, right? And he says, uh, and, and then he says in the next verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it. You wanna save your way of life, Jonah? I told you to go to Nineveh, but that's, you wanna do your own thing? Preserve your way of life, and it'll literally cost you your life. Whoever would save his life, his way of life, his worldview, you're gonna lose your life. It's gonna stink, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Find life by submitting to Jesus in his way. So you gotta lose your life. That's what Jonah realized. Jonah realized, man, I can keep, I can keep my worldview. I can keep my way of life. I can do things the way I want. Uh, and if I try to preserve my way of life, it literally might cost me my way of life. But I can give up my way of life, surrender to what Jesus wants me to do, and that's where I'll really find life. You see, it's surrender to win. And we think surrender is defeat, and it is in times of war, but this is a different, you surrender, give up your life, then you win. That's what Jonah learned. That's what repentance uh, uh, truly is, is is losing your life. And then he learned that repentance is laying down your idols. Look at Jonah 2, 7, and 8. In 2, 7, and 8, uh, it says, when my life was fainting away, I was dead. I was as good as dead. I was dying. Man, it, it, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. You've been there and I've been there. We, we've all been at that place to where, man, we've been in rebellion. And it's like, oh man, life was so good. Why did I do this? God, I've dishonored you. You've been there. It's called conviction. That's what's happening. Uh, he remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. I remember the Lord, and I prayed. And look at what he says. Those, this is what God revealed to him. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, let me, let me, let me tell you what this, this steadfast love is right here. This is very special and important to me. Let me tell you why it's special and important to me. Because I've been reading Amy's Bible for the last 12 weeks. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed that stuck out to me is I've been reading her Bible, and really I've been going through her annotations and marks and, and all those kind of things. And just about everywhere, steadfast, steadfast love is all over the Bible. And when I'm, re when I'm going through her Bible and the Psalms and the Proverbs, she has circled just practically everywhere that steadfast love, steadfast love. And it's everywhere, steadfast love. And then she started circling in a heart. She, her circle was a heart around steadfast love, steadfast love. So I said, I noticed earlier, I'm gonna dive into this. Why was this so important to Amy? I, I wanna dive. And so what, what I began to realize as I studied that is this word steadfast love is in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And what that word means is it means a compassionate loyalty. It's a co compassionate irrevocable, unconditional covenant loyalty between God and his people. In other words, it means that God's covenant with you, if you're a believer, is signed, sealed, and delivered. It is irrevocable. It is compassionate. It is, uh, it is unconditional. God is loyal to his word, and you will 
be saved. That's his covenant with you, right? It's irrevocable, it's unconditional. And, and, and in that is joy. And it's also within this, this, this hesed uh, not only speaks of the compassionate, irrevocable, unconditional loyalty that God has for us, but then, then out of that, as we become like him, it's our unconditional, compassionate loyalty of the covenant to each other as individuals. Man, that was just so special to me is it just defined Amy and her relationship with me. She had hesed for me because she knew God had hesed for her. I mean, God was loyal to her. God, uh, his covenant was loyal no matter how much she rebelled or I rebelled, no matter how much you rebel, his covenant loyalty is absolutely irrevocable in your life. It is compassionate covenant loyalty. And her covenant loyalty to the covenant she and I made was just absolutely unconditional. It was solid and it was rock strong. And so that's very, very special to me. But here's what it is in Jonah. Jonah realized, look at what he says. Those who pay regard to vain idols, it didn't say that they forsake God's covenant loyalty. In other words, you pay regard to idols, you lose it. You pay regard to idols, God removes his loyalty. That's not what he says. Look at what he says. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope. You know, you know what, you, you know what uh, God's hesed does for me? Gives me incredible hope because I know that no matter how bad I am, God is loyal. My faith, his faithfulness is greater than my fickleness and I'm very fickle. God's covenant with me will never be broken and that gives me great joy. But when I'm in rebellion, when I'm in rebellion, the hope the pleasures in his right hand forevermore, I'm not experiencing. The joy, I'm not experiencing. That's what Jonah's saying. Jonah said, my life has just stinks. My life has been hard, man. I've been in gastric juices for three days. I'm bleached out. I'm burnt out. Man, I'm pruned out. Because why? I rebelled against God. My life has been terrible. It's not been the, 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 the pleasures in his right hand are forevermore. It's not been the joy of the Lord, of walking in the presence of the Lord. I've been running from it, and that caused my life to be hopeless. That's what Jonah's saying. And then he realized why. Why was that? He realized that what was actually underneath his rebellion was the presence of an idol. It was the presence of an idol. You see, he thought he could hold on to his idol. What was his idol? His idol was the hatred of the Ninevites. His idol was his own comfort. His idol was his own desires, his own plans, his own will, living life the way he wanted. That was his idol. And he thought he could hang on to his idol and hold on to God at the same time. And God's teaching him a lesson. And man, let's learn from the lessons of someone else. You cannot hang on to an idol and hang on to the will of God at the same time. You can't do it. You know, I've learned this all through my life. Every day I relearn this because you see, I'm sort of a clumsy person and I spill a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, Nathaniel, they laugh at me in the office because I have to bring paperwork for Nathaniel, sometimes our administrator. And if I have to fill out this or fill out that and I have to bring it to him, he's our HR guy and and our administrator, financial guy. And he laughs because every piece of paper I bring to him has got coffee stains all over it. It does. Because you see why? Because I, I'm one of these guys that, man, I think I can pick up everything I need in one fell swoop. Man, I think I can pick up my bag. I can pick up this. I can pick up that. And then I can reach down and pick up my coffee. And it just goes everywhere. Why? Because I can't hold on to everything and hold on to my coffee too. And I, I just don't ever learn that. You'd think I'd learn that, but I don't. And so, you know, that's exactly what Jonah learned. I can't hang on to my idol and hang on to God at the same time in his will. Can't do it. Jonah learned that. He, he realized that. And so, so today, we, we need to realize that, that we need to lose our life. And losing our life means that we've got to identify the idols in our life. And what is an idol? Well, an idol, you know what an idol is. I mean, you know, we think about idols and we think of you know, I've been to places all over the world where they, they're animistic, means they worship inanimate objects. And I mean, they might worship a, a, st- a God made of a stone or God made of wood or, you know, a God made of metal or a God of, that's a mountain. I mean, they, they worship things like this and they have statues of them and they bow down. And when you're in Bangkok and you walk through the streets in Bangkok, you come across spirit houses and spirit houses are houses that, 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 that house the idols and there'll be idols there that they worship and then they'll come and they'll offer food to the idol. You know, they'll put a little food in front of the idol. And nobody ever eats it, but it's there. 
you know? And, and so, I mean, they, they sacrifice. And so that's not all that idols are. Yeah, it is. A lot of the world does that, but that's not, we're, I mean, man, we're, 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 we're more sophisticated and educated in America. We, that's not what we do. We look at those folks, we're like, oh, they're so sad. We're supposed idols. They look at us and they see our idols clearly when we can't. They say, oh, you worship idols. What's your idol? Well, an idol is anything that you give your worship to, the worship that only Jesus deserves. It's anything that you give your time to uh, instead of Jesus, or you can't give time to Jesus because you give time to this idol. It's what you give your money to that you don't give to Jesus. Right? That's what an idol is. An idol is what what gets our focus. It's what gets our attention. I mean, there are many idols. You know, I mean, you can look at the toys that we have in our garage, and I've got toys in my garage, just like all of you. I've got toys in my garage. I I take vacations like all of you. There's nothing wrong with having toys. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with going on vacation. There's nothing wrong with traveling. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, unless I can't obey God's word with finances and money because of that. You see, then what I'm doing is I'm sacrificing to these things, and God's not getting what he deserves. This is an idol. I'm out of proportion. I've got an idol in my life. It might be your kids. Man, I'm I'm sacrificing church so that my kids can be a great whatever, right? It might be your folks on you. It, it can be it can be sitting in your garage right now. It can be your financial portfolio. It, it, one of the easy ways to really start determining your idols is what is it that gets you so stressed if it's not going? What is it that just that takes up all the space in your mind? What are our idols? What's the idols in our life that we bow down to, right? I mean, see, this isn't just Jonah. All of us uh, build idols in our lives continually. It's like Calvin uh, says, John Calvin, another great reformer, said that our hearts are perpetual idol factories. We churn out idols like Nissan churns out Altimus. I mean, man, we just make them. That's our heart. And so here's what we got to do. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing that we have to continually evaluate our heart and purge the idols from our life. We have to purge the idols from our life. And, and, and that's what the Christian life is. It's constantly asking the Holy Spirit to reveal and purge the idols out of our life. And that's what we do. When we realize there's an idol, what do we have to do? Then we have to lose our life. Because, okay, I'm giving my life to this, My my way of life to this, I desire this, and I have to lose my life to find life. So repentance is losing your life. Repentance is laying down your idols, and finally repentance is looking to Jesus, and that's what we see here. uh, Jonah, uh, he, he looked to Jesus basically as he turned from his sin. In the Hebrew text, uh, the, the order of Scripture is a bit different than it is here in our ESV, uh, English Standard Version. The last verse of chapter 1 in Hebrew is t- really the first verse of chapter uh, 2, and this is important in understanding an element of repentance that we find here in Jonah's prayer. Now, in, uh, when we come to the Hebrew, uh, there is something called the chiastic structure. And, uh, you can forget that word if you want to, uh, but there's a chiastic structure, and I just want you to know there's an, there's an underlying element to this. This chiastic structure is formed in the repetition of phrases at the beginning of a text and at the end of a text. And that's what we see in 117 and 2.10. So from the last verse of, of chapter 1, 117 to the last verse of chapter 2, what you have here are bookends around Jonah's prayer. And so all that tells us is this. Uh, this tells us that all the events that are going down in this story are, are, are from the hand of the Lord. And Jonah realizes that in his prayer. Jonah realizes it's God who brought the storm Jonah realizes it was God who put in the hearts of the sailors to throw him overboard. Jonah realizes it was the Lord who summoned the fish. You think a fish is going to be at that exact moment, at that exact place, in that exact time, and that's coincidence. There is no such thing as coincidence, folks. There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as happenstance. There is no such thing as fate if you believe in God. There is such thing as God, and he is in control. And so Jonah realizes that God summoned the fish to be in the very place at the very time that the sailors would throw him overboard. He realized that the Lord preserved his life 
even in being swallowed in the fish. It was God's act of grace in preserving his life. He realized that the Lord was going to get him to Nineveh. He, he realized that the Lord brought the conviction within his soul. That's what he realized. And, and, and he realized that the Lord will bring salvation. And that's why Jonah declared, salvation is from the Lord. Now, now, when Jonah said salvation is from the Lord, that could have a lot of meanings, right? I mean, number one, he has been thrown overboard in a raging sea in the Mediterranean Ocean. I mean, the, he, he has been thrown overboard and the waves he cannot sustain because of the wind and the waves and he is sinking and he's swallowed by a fish. He's in the belly of the fish for three days and that fish spits him out on the beach in Nineveh. And so, yes, Jonah realized at this point, man, God has saved my life. You know, I've realized that before, haven't you? I mean, there have been so many times in my life where I've said, outside of God, I don't know, I didn't make it through that with any other way. You know, I, I, we, we, Amy and I, we lived in Texas for when we went to seminary in Texas, and we grew up in, in, in East Tennessee, Appalachian Mountains, and so when we, we would leave Texas to go home for a visit, it was, it was a long drive. It was about a 14-hour drive, and so, man, we would always, uh, we didn't have no money to fly, so we had no money to fly, so we, we, we would drive, and our, kid, our boy, Seth, was small, and then we had Zach. He was tiny. So we wanted them to sleep. You, as your parents, you know what I'm talking about, man. Let them sleep, man. And so we'd take off. We'd drive all night. Man, I could do that then. And now, I, 12 o'clock, I'm like, you know. But I could do that then, or at least I think I could do it because I, I remember you've done this. You know you've done it. You've driven at night. You've been driving all through the night, and all of a sudden, man, you sort of you sort of come to yourself and you realize I have zero clue how I got over the last 30 minutes. I don't even remember it. You've been there, hadn't you? I don't even remember that. I don't know. How did you make it? You were basically asleep at the wheel with your eyes open. I've been there. How did I do that? The hand of God. Man, you, you've been places to where, you, you man, a car's ran a red light or you come in and it's like, I mean, those life, I mean, those narrow uh, life experiences to where you're like, I don't know how I survived that. I was so lucky. No, you were so God, it was involved in your life. There was no such thing as luck, right? And that's what Jonah realized here. The only way I made it through this was the hand of God, and that would do us well to remember and to consider and to think when we, when we narrowly escape something or at the end of every day, the only the, the, the thing, great thing when we lie down at night is to say, God, the only way I made it through this day, and there was no dramatic events that happened, but for you to be cognizantly aware that the only way you made it through the day was by the hand of God. Jonah realized it was God that saved him from that belly of the, the fish and the, and, and, and the bottom of the ocean. That's not all that Jonah was realizing here. He, he, he realized that it was God who saved his soul, and then he realized it was God who brought conviction in his life. And he turned to God. He, he realized that it was, it was God, and so what did he do? He repented, and what is repentance? Well, you know, repentance is completely not being sorry. Sorrow is one of the first steps in repentance. Actually, the first step in repentance is conviction. That's conviction from the Holy Spirit. You know, I've been here many times, Pat. This, the Holy Spirit is nudging me because here's what the Bible says. When, 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 when you are redeemed, when you repent initially for justification and give your heart to Christ, trust in him, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And that means that every time I do something, as I become more like him and get closer to him, every time I do something that is disobeying his word, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, Pat, what are we doing here? Uh-uh, uh-uh, and it's nudging me and it's, oh, it's bringing conviction. Uh, you're uncomfortable with this. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do not overlook that. Don't drive by that. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's convicting you and now you get to determine like Jonah. You know that when Jonah said, God said go and Jonah said no, he was being convicted the whole way and he kept walking. He's like, I ain't paying attention to it. I'm doing what I wanna do. You can do that. Oh man, but the conviction is grace. We think, oh God, Conviction is grace. It's God saying, don't go here, Pat. Don't do this, Pat. And I get an opportunity to go, I, I, I repent. I'm wrong. You see, so then I, I, I'm sorry. And sorry doesn't mean like I did when I was a kid. My mom and my dad would catch me doing something. I repented. I never repented. I was sorry, but I wasn't sorry I did what I did. I was sorry I got caught, right? I was really sorry because I'm going to have to suffer here. 
That's not repentance. Repentance is when I am sorry that I've been doing this because it breaks the heart of God. I don't want to do it anymore. God, help me not to do it anymore. And that doesn't mean that that's a one-time thing. That's a lifetime thing because we continually make idols and we continually fall into rebellion. And so we continually have to repent and turn to Jesus for help. That's what Jonah realized. He repented. He realized, finally, I'm wrong. You're right, God. Again, that's that's the whole of your life as a Christian. I'm wrong. You're right, God. We have to relearn that every day. Okay, God, your word says this. I'm wrong. And see, what we do is we don't want to admit that. And so sometimes we go and revise the Bible. We try to revise the Bible. That's what Beckett Cook's going to help us do in in the area of homosexuality, transgender, all the sexuality stuff. He's going to help us understand, you know, and he can obliterate anybody who goes and says, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. The Bible doesn't say anything about God either, I don't guess. He can obliterate you in about five seconds. I'd love to watch that. I'd love to watch that. So if we go down the road of homosexuality, we have to go down the road saying, God says it, but I don't care what God says. I'm doing it anyway. Say that and I'll respect you. But don't tell me the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Or I'll know you are biblically ignorant or you are just absolutely blind or one of the two. Don't tell me the Bible just says God's love and we just got to love. Don't tell me that. When you come to me about marriage, don't tell me God just wants me to be happy. When you, when you come to me, don't tell me about your finances. Well, I just believe we can just give what we want to give because, well, sure you can because nobody wants to give anything, right, when you're, when you're in yourself. I mean, listen, you can, you can try to revise the Bible. That's what we do, isn't it? We try to find proof text. That, that, that absolutely help us uh, do what we want to do. And I can do that. You come to me, I'll promise you, I can find you a text that will okay anything you want to do. If I take it out of context and a text left into itself, I can find you a text. Oh, there it is. There it is. You know, I mean, man, I'm glad. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that's why God's put the community in our life because sometimes I really want to proof text. I've done it before. I said, when I go to the Bible, here's where I'm dangerous. When I go to the Bible, and I, I, I go to the Bible to eisegete the Bible because I go to the Bible with an agenda to prove my point. When I do that, I'm in trouble because I'm going to prove my point. I'm going to keep looking. Don't go to the Bible with an agenda. Go to the Bible with an open heart. It's called exegeting. Uh-oh, you're pulling out what's there, right? And so we do that when we try to run from the Lord. Jonah had all kind of ways he could say, God told me to go to Nineveh, but those Ninevites are brutal. They are murderers. But God said to go to Nineveh. He he could find all kind of reasons not to obey the Lord. Not really, but rationally in our mind, we can. And so we have to identify the idols and then lose our life and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is your word. I'm sorry. You're right, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Help me to walk in your will and your way. And then you'll experience the pleasures forevermore that are in his right hand. Then the joy of the Lord that's in his presence will, 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 you will experience as you walk with the Lord. Today, we come to this place. And as we come to this place, it is great that we learn from Jonah because I don't want you to have to learn his lessons uh, the hard way. Let's learn them the easy way. Let's learn from someone else's mistakes because all of us have areas of our life that we are legitimately going the opposite direction from where God told us to go. Is it your money? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your, what is it? Is it forgiveness? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, have to, I have to evaluate my own life. I have to start taking the, the logs out of my eyes, <laughs> right? And so, but what I ask you to do is take the logs out of yours. Take the logs out of yours by doing what Jonah did. Don't wait till you hit rock bottom. Some of you are at rock bottom now. Some of you aren't. If you are, do what Jonah did, cry out to the Lord. Do you see what what happened when Jonah cried out to the Lord? When Jonah cried out to the Lord, what did it say? God answered. God answered. He answered. God is so much more willing to hear us than we are to talk to him. 
he answered. You see, when you're running from God, he's, he, he's pursuing you, but that's really, he's not chasing you, he's already there. And listen, and he's not standing there where you're running to with his fist clenched, waiting, I can't wait till he rounds his turn. I'm gonna give him a right hook that's gonna knock his teeth out. I'm gonna teach this boy a lesson because that's what we wanna do sometimes. You know, have you heard this like me? Son, you keep doing the same thing over and over. When will you ever learn? I mean, good, are you crazy? You know, we hear things like that and then we project those things on our heavenly father and that's not our heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father's not standing there waiting to knock our teeth out because we keep rebelling against him. He's standing there with his hands open and his arms wide open to receive us with grace, with that compassionate covenant hesed. That's your Heavenly Father. When you call out to him, he wants to embrace you like the prodigal, like the father and the prodigal. He wants to embrace you and kill the fatted calf so that you can experience joys and the pleasures of his right hand forevermore. You repent today of whatever it is. If you don't know Jesus, would you repent and come to him and say, Jesus, you're right, I'm wrong about salvation, about life. I turn to you. You know, Come talk to us in the back. If you are a believer, there's still so many things in our life where we're probably running from God, if we're honest. So I'm gonna ask you right now, as the band's coming out, I'm gonna ask you to just go ahead and bow your head. And I'm gonna ask you to start doing what Jonah did, in, in the, in, except he was in the belly of a fish. You can just do it in the seat in the church. It smells a whole lot better. And you can sit right there and say, God, where am I running from you like Jonah? Is it in my money? Is it in my marriage? Is it in who I'm dating? Is it, am I committing sins that I know you tell me not to, but it would interfere with my way of life or, 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 or my worldview to, to put those down? Where are you running from God right now? Is the Holy Spirit convicting? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you, to convict you, to give you that grace. And when you confess and call out to God who's standing there with open arms and open hands to receive you, he don't want to punch you. He wants to hug you as you come home to him. Would you do that right now? Father, we love you, and I pray right now God, I pray that you would convict, Holy Spirit. Convict right now. Help us to experience the pleasures that are at your right hand forevermore, the joy, the hope of your hesed, the hope of your absolute, compassionate, irrevocable, unconditional, covenant, steadfast love. God, because if we get a taste of that, Lord, we don't want to taste anything else. Convict right now. I pray that there would be conviction and that there would be repentance taking place in this room and in rooms all over the world as people are watching right now. Right now with your head bowed, Travis is going to begin. And man, I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I just trust that you'll obey him. Uh, you can repent where you are. You can come to altar. You can come back to us. Just obey the Lord. Do what he tells you to do right now so that you can experience the pleasures that are in his right hand forevermore. Let's begin to sing and worship and thank God that his arms are open, that his burden is easy and his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he's gentle and lowly. And he's ready to receive you right now if you'll run home to him.